The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, I know we said we'd be back on Thursday, and uh, I'm a fibber. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I fibbed. We, we were not. There were some things that came up. Keith had to travel, other things. Yeah, that was the there. main thing that came up. <laughs> that is was the, I had to go to North Carolina. That was the biggest thing uh, on top of other things that just came into play. So, that being said, uh, we're going to recap, as we promised, sort of the men's results and get into the seating. We'll talk about women. We'll get into the seating. And that's, that's, that's where we're going to go with the show. It's just mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a two-segment mm-hmm. show, uh, probably, you know, 25, 30 minutes on each because I'm not going to go through maybe every single result. I may not go through every single seating in grand detail. Um, but clearly for ETSU men's basketball, they needed to kind of end the year on a good note. They were able to get a win against the Citadel, and then there were question marks at the end of that. And I guess we'll, I'll just jump and start there. Jalen Haynes will be able to play on Saturday. There have been a lot of questions about that. Yes. <clears throat> Basically, the rule changed several years ago mm-hmm. that um, if there was no real physical altercation, so shoving, punching, kicking, something of that nature, or player didn't leave in a timely manner or some other threatening things, but if it's, you know – lack of a better term, you know, uh, uh, taunting or mouthiness or whatever, um, you can come back and play. uh, And, you know, so it's not an automatic suspension. You know, the league can upgrade things if it's not a physical altercation, but the league didn't see anything. The referee report didn't have anything that would have warranted that. So the good news is Jalen Haynes will play. I'd be shocked if he started. Um that being said, they're shorthanded, so who knows? Maybe they will start. But, uh, you know, the thing there, I went back and watched it. Haynes clearly looked like uh, he was unhappy with the play previous to the ejection on the other end where it looked like he may have got elbowed in the throat or neck area. And Coach Oliver, to my right, happened to say like to the referees, like, I want you to check that. I think my guy got hit in the face or whatever. And then Haynes goes on, and then it looks like, again, Stephen Clark maybe had a little bit of a hook and hold. Haynes clearly frustrated from the other end, got hook and hold. He throws him to the ground, yeah. picks up the foul from there, and then clearly does not respond in the proper way from that point and has shown, shown the exit. And I don't even know if he saw or knew he got the first technical. I mean, he got bang-bang technicals, but I don't even yes. know if he knew he had the first technical. Either way, I think I can see where Jalen – has a gripe, but in the same token, you just can't react that way. You can't do that. You no, that's and that's something that I mean, you know, Des I think kind of said this in in his post game. It's like I was trying to get him out because I knew, hey, that wasn't going to go well. It wasn't going to react. It wasn't going to go down well. And um, well, he didn't get a chance to get him out of the game in that moment. But Jalen, I mean, Jalen got a technical earlier this year for barking at the student section at Sanford and, and saying some things that are uh, could be deemed unsporting and got a technical for that. And it's just it's a matter of composure in critical situations where ETSU was up a little bit, but the game was not sealed with 3.53 left, and Sam or the Citadel made a run at it. And they made a run at it. They got it down to, I think, five or maybe even four 
and it couldn't get closer than that. It couldn't make it a one-possession game, but um, what if you're facing a team that's not the Citadel that's not missing Austin Ash? You know, what, what if you're not facing a team that's without its best three-point shooter, most important perimeter scorer? What happens when you face that team and something like that happens? It can really hurt you. So now is the opportunity for him to learn that lesson of, hey, you can't react that way. You can't. You definitely can't. You know, go out, go to an official, and, and say something, which is why I believe why he got the second technical, and it, you can't do that in that moment. As as hard as it is to check your temper in the heat of the moment when you're frustrated, you've got to do it for the good of the team, and that's a a thing where. Now, Des has talked about the team needs to mature a little bit. It's a young group. It's an inexperienced group where it's not young. And so this is this is a, one of those moments where I think Jalen is going to learn something from it. Um, I know some people had some objection to the Jaden Seymour windmill dunk at the end of the game as well when the Bucs are running it out, shot clock was off. Uh, that's another one where you think, okay, probably finish the game out a little bit better. Um, and just, you know, there's no need to keep scoring at that point. So this is a team that just needs to learn a little bit more about what is expected, I think, of of a, a Division One group, not just in terms of their talent, because I've said this before, I think this group's got plenty of talent, but there are other things that come with playing at this level that I think young players or inexperienced players um aren't necessarily expected to know right out of the gate. And this team is still learning a lot of those things. Yeah. And I think that's the, there's a couple of times we've seen that last year and a couple of times this year where there's sort of an unwritten rule, right? I mean, you hear the people all the time, well, I play the whistle play, but well, if one team is throwing its hands up and say, don't foul, you, don't you, extend the you, game. You, the we over. concede, you win the game. And then you go and dunk it on them, but they're not going to be happy. And Ed Conroy had every reason not to be happy. Now, to defend ETSU, the bench and everyone is telling Seymour not to dunk the basketball, and Seymour's yeah. just got to learn that's not what you do. And then ETSU did let the Citadel inbound it go the other end and get the two points back. And again, that's a gesture, but that's you. You do have to know. But if they are still pressing at the end of the game, that it's different. Absolutely. That then you do score it. But when they have thrown their hands up and said, "You know what? Just walk it across half court. We'll let you run out the clock. We'll move on," and you dunk it on them, that's just one of those things where ETSU's maturity, yes. you know, with Haynes and with Seymour, in those two instances are just not quite there yet as they're growing as a team. Now, I think Citadel showed to me again at home they're just a different squad. Um, they are more confident. They hit more shots. There's just a different feel watching games and looking at numbers on their home in a way – uh, scenarios and it's not going to get any easier for them. They got to go to Mercer, and that's the de facto. They're going to play each other again. So they're going to have the weird play each other on Saturday, and then they are the eight nine game. And the winner of the game will determine who wears the white uniforms and who wears the road uniforms, basically, <laughs> right. because they're exactly tied in the standings as well. So for the Citadel, it's going to be a little tough. Mercer gave Furman all kinds of fits, made it a physical game. As, as ETSU fans know, because Josh Taylor got – well, let's backtrack there. How about that? You know, we didn't know going into the game that Josh Taylor had a shot to play. I saw him in yep. shoot around, and he had a big foam pad on, and they're like, well, we're not sure if the NCAA is going to – you know, the, the officials got to check with NCAA to see if they'll let him play with that, which I always laugh because football, 
you can have this hard cast club that you can hammer people with. Or hammer the ball with. Or Yes, and it is fine. But in basketball, if you have a little metal piece on a, like a wrist break, that, nope, too much to go. And, and, and somebody said, well, you know, football is, you know, it's ran by a different organization. Well, no, 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 the rules are not. The rules are set up by the NCAA. I get the playoffs and some of that is set up differently. But the NCAA itself, the sanctioning body, is the rules maker for all of the NCAA events. So I, I've always laughed that basketball had this, well, we can't do that. And in the one collision sport where it would seem more dangerous, you could have it in football, that that's where they have it legal. But he was uh, deemed, and they checked it, and I, I don't know what test they went through, but it was a, it's a very soft cast. It's more foam padding than anything. And so they did deem that Taylor could play. And that was a huge, I thought – um, energy boost to ETSU. Yeah, I saw him in warmups and he had it on, and I was like, "Is he going to play? Was he going to play?" I mean, I think I went to, I think I went to you, and I was like, "He's warming up. Is he going to play?" And I went to Kevin Brown. I was like, "Is he going to play?" And no, I mean, nobody would give me a definite answer. And then about, I think probably like five, six minutes before we went on the air on TV, uh, Kevin came over, gave me the thumbs up. Yeah, he's good to go. He's going to play. And so uh, that was encouraging to see. Josh is a great kid. I, I love that guy. He's um he's been in a really tough place trying to get through that injury and he's battled through it and now he's back and he's getting to play basketball again this season and that's just fantastic. Um I love that for him. Super happy for the guy. Uh he definitely it showed like there was some there was some considerable rust, right? As you would expect from somebody that's missed what uh, over a month with a broken wrist. Uh, but he was out there, and, and he was playing basketball again. And I think this Saturday you're going to see a guy that's a little bit sharper, a little bit more crisp. Uh, and hopefully by the tournament he'll have that thing off and will be able to play unfettered or unburdened by it. Uh, but uh, to the point of people that you kind of threw under the bus there, yes, the rules are made by different committees. Like they are literally made by different committee subcommittees of Division One. Uh, so the rules are the rules are different, and people have different interpretations of them. And sometimes those interpretations are just gloriously incongruent, and they are jarring to look at in 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 respect to one another. Because you're right, yeah, football guys can have the hard cast, basketball guys can't have much. I mean, if you have less metal than a wristwatch on your wrist, then you still can't play. I, I don't I don't get it, but. Uh, every sport's different. Every sport's rules are made by different committees. I mean, baseball just changed the rules for how many players you can have on scholarship. Not the number of scholarships. The number of scholarships is still 11.7, but the number of players you can distribute that scholarship money to has been changed. So you can get a bunch of guys on 25% scholarship, I guess. It's 32 now is the uh, the number of scholarship counters you're allowed, which I believe before it was 25 they are. They've committed. They've just uh, had a blanket waiver, according to Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, to make that 32, and then to have the full, like the ultimate count. Like you can have 40 players on your roster, but 32 of those can receive aid. But those rules are made by a different committee from the rules that are made by football, from the rules that are made by basketball, from the rules that are made by water polo, and um, it's weird to watch some of those inconsistencies unfold. But it's a big body where. The feet don't know what the hands are doing. That's the NCAA in a nutshell. I mean, again, we could spend several shows talking about uh, the inconsistencies between sports and how it is, but they still – and coaches have a little bit of 
say into the the rule sanctioning and some other things and there's a committee and i get that but ncaa overarching you know sees it and it was a situation where they knew they were going to ask saturday to see if josh taylor was would be allowed to play with the foam padding and then when the news after shoot around that brock jansett couldn't go then it kind of upped the task because josh taylor was going through shoot around was doing things had been practicing um with that cast on so he had been working back in basically they weren't going to hold him or they weren't going to play him if Brock was going because they wanted him to get a little more up and down the court running you know like in-game action and practice as opposed to you know just wind sprints or whatever and when Brock went down it was almost like okay well what's the difference between Saturday and Wednesday and the answer was well I don't know how many minutes or how many trips he excuse me he can go up down the floor and he played kind of sparingly, but to me, the the crowd reaction to him playing, the energy that he brought defensively and rebounding were huge, and I think that will help as it going because mm-hmm. he's played in three full games now in the Southern Conference for ETSU, and there are three wins. I mean, you know, am I going to say, well, now they're going to run a table win a championship? No, but clearly he has helped them win games, and – the defensive rebounded to me is the biggest thing that I mm-hmm. think ETSU could use him for, even if he doesn't score. And he did – I think he hit a free throw, so he did have a point on the board. But I think that's uh, huge for ETSU moving forward, especially, again, if if Alan Struthers is still out, if Brock Jancic's still out. I know Chris keeps calling the coach's show, wanting to know about Stricter and, and tweeting me about Stricter concussion protocols. And I don't have a good answer. I, I don't believe ETSU's doing anything Stricter. Some of it is – bad luck some of it is just I, I don't know um but even go back to steve forbes days i mean they had to play um the postseason cit game i guess it was against green bay where no Jeremy rodriguez no milad Armas, both had mm-hmm. concussions rodriguez had missed a little bit of time of the next year with concussion then you look at charlie weber's situation where effectively kind of ended his career with the concussions you know now you've got at least three this year if my math's right with taylor struthers oh seymour had one four seymour had one as well you yeah. know and and seymour hit diving for a ball hit his face on the you know the the, the hardwood floor um bj max back of his head hit taylor uh, i think jancic accidental elbow in practice got struthers and then on you know whatever happened to brock and whatever practice you know, another practice one so mm-hmm. that being said you know, so some of it's bad luck. I mean, Seymour diving for a ball and gets a concussion. I mean, those things, B.J. Mack kind of turns and throws his head back and, and hits Taylor pretty good. So, I I don't I don't think ETSU is doing anything stricter. It's just one of those things that, that's just happened. I've never been around a, a group of basketball teams, men's and women's, in one season that had this many concussions, though. I, because the women have had their troubles with them as well. You know, Jay Leah Cotton picked up one. Um They've had uh, another player had to sit out with a concussion. And I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Journey McDaniel, I think, had to sit out with one. So there, it's been it's been really just bizarre. That's what, six between the two teams? That's wild. I've never seen that before. And you understand why when you see a number like that across two teams, why the NCAA and its, you know, its basketball rules committees are cracking down aggressively on head contact. There's not there's only so much you can do about it. Like Jay Lee has happened in practice. She got she was going for a loose ball and she took an elbow in the face and she got a concussion. 
I mean, you know, there's only so much you can do with with stuff like that. But in game, I think you're going to see a continued emphasis on head contact in basketball, and you're going to see that policed very aggressively. And sometimes it's going to happen. It's inadvertent. Basketball is a contact sport, but the less we can uh, facilitate that or the fewer opportunities we give for that to happen, the better off the sport's going to be because we're going to keep players on the floor longer. And that's really all we can ask for is keep players on the floor as much as possible so that they have a chance to play and we have a chance to watch them play. That's better for everybody when they do. So let's look at uh, a couple results and we'll look at the seeding and then we'll talk about the women. Um, Furman, I mean, nip and tuck game with Mercer again. They made that kind of a bloodbath, and Furman was able to get to the free throw line a, a lot more than Mercer able to win that one. UNCG kind of rolls through Western. Sanford chat was entertaining, kind of went back and forth, and then finally Sanford was able to outlast Chattanooga. And then the shocker. I mean, I stopped paying attention to the Wofford VMI game when Wofford was up like nine with a couple minutes to go. And the next day I know somebody texted me and said, hey, they're in overtime. And so I had to go back and watch. Uh, actually, watch it this morning to re- to see what happened. And I watched all of overtime, but I didn't really see what had happened. And really, Wofford had some chances and some blunders. There were probably you know f- a couple favorable home whistles uh, you know that happens in uh, league play. But I thought VMI did a good job also defensively and kind of pressuring Wofford. And VMI had nothing to lose. That- that's one of those deals too. But they were able to pick up the win, which really throws. ETSU a bone and gets everything kind of back into play. So this weekend, tomorrow, Saturday, as we record on Friday, it's Mercer and Citadel. And again, the winner of that is going to be in the 8-9 game. UNCG is... The loser is also going to be in the 8-9 game, correct? Yes, yes. It's yep. just determining seed. Right. Who, who is 8 and who is 9? The winner's the 8, loser's the 9. So mm-hmm. they, they can't improve any more than that, but one will be the home team. So if Mercer wins, they'll go back-to-back white jerseys. If uh, Citadel wins, and they'll wear the Rhodes this one and then the uh, white jerseys over in uh, Asheville, if that matters to somebody. Um, then you're looking at Western Carolina and VMI. They can't – so those are the easiest things because the 8-9 yes. is set. Western is the 4 no matter what happens against VMI. Correct. VMI is the 10. Correct. So all the other – which is 3. It's not like there's a lot. The other 3 will determine how the men's seeds go. And I'm going to start with, again, a little bit of the easier scenario. So if Sanford beats Furman, the easiest scenario is Sanford is one. Correct. If Furman beats Sanford, and it doesn't really matter, but let's just say UNCG wins to get a three-way tie. Furman still wins that tiebreaker. They're the one. Obviously, if ETSU beats UNCG and Furman wins, Furman's the one. Furman's the one if they win. Furman can really only be the two if – if Furman lost and then ETSU beat UNCG. That's really the only way to get Furman to the two. So Furman can be one, two, or three if you follow that. Right, but most likely either one or three. Most likely one or three, unless you don't think ETSU can beat UNCG. Then then Sanford is one or two. Greensboro cannot get to one. They will be a two or a three. So even if there is no tiebreak scenario where they get to the one, they will either be a two if they beat ETSU and Furman loses – or depending on if they match the results with Furman, if they both win or both lose, they will lose that tiebreaker, and then UNCG will be the three. So, again, Sanford, one or two. Furman, one, two, or three. UNCG, two or three. Western's four. That doesn't change. And then you get into ETSU, Chattanooga-Wofford. Chattanooga-Wofford's the last game at seven. That's going to change a couple of seeds no matter what. ETSU, simple math. We went over it. We put it out on Twitter. You've probably seen it. 
ETSU wins, they're a five because no matter yes. who wins or loses, they got all the tiebreakers. And then if they lose, then it becomes dependent on the outcome of Chattanooga and Wofford. Correct. If Chattanooga beats Wofford, then ETSU would be the six because ETSU and Wofford would be tied. ETSU wins a tiebreaker. If Wofford were to win, ETSU would go from what could have been a five all the way down to a seven because Chattanooga owns a tiebreaker versus ETSU. So you really want ETSU to win, not just because you want ETSU to win, but also because you can say the heck with Chattanooga and Wofford in one fell swoop. Yeah, then I can, you know, you know then I don't have to pull for Chattanooga, right? Because that's hard to do. Yeah, that is that is hard to do, but also is worth doing because somebody's going to win three games next weekend to win the SoCon. I don't think anybody's going to win four. That's going to be really challenging. So that's something that. Hey, Chattanooga winning would benefit ETSU, but also only if ETSU can't win themselves. So you'd like to see the Bucks take care of business. Uh, UNCG, according to Massey, by the way, is favored in the game tomorrow um, by a 56-44% chance and a projected score of 67-65. to 65. That would be a really fun game. But it would also be a tough loss to swallow if they come out on the wrong end of a one-possession game again. And then have to sit and wait. And then have to sit and wait for the 7 o'clock game because Wofford has to have the limelight on them and have to have everybody tell them how special they are and everybody golf clap for Wofford because Wofford is the last game of the season. I just... Can you tell I'm not fond of Wofford? <laughs> so... Uh, who is? But that being said, I just um, I have the I have like the like the secondhand trauma of like all of the internal politics of the SoCon over the last like 15 years has just been heaped onto me. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. That's where a lot like, of people are at. But um, <laughs> and, and, I would and, imagine and, so. And being a, a a public school or the private schools that have the least amount of whatever have the most power, it's also one of those two. But there's uh, there's some horns locking going on there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, Furman is not totally blameless in all of that, too. It's not. It's that's not, true. It's not no, that's that's true. Deal. That's true. But that being said, uh, that that's really how everything breaks down. I mean, it really comes down to one, two, and three is going to be decided, and then four, five, or I'm sorry, five, six, seven, eight, nine, technically, but they're going to play each other anyways. It doesn't really matter who's home jersey, and four and ten are set. So that is on the men's side. So hopefully we. Uh, Covered that for you where you're now the women's side. I, I could be here for days and I have eight different scenarios. So the six way tie that we talked about earlier this week is off because Correct. Chattanooga and Wofford both won. But we could still have a four way tie in an eight team league for the regular season title, which would still be amazing. Um if Wofford and Chattanooga lose and ETSU and Mercer win, then four teams are nine and five and they would all share the SoCon regular season title. And then I don't know how the tiebreaker would shake out in a four-team tie oh, for I do. the Bucks. You do. Oh, of course I do. Of course you do. Well, I, why, why were we doing the show if I You're don't a, Because you're hopeless. That's totally fair. Totally fair. Chattanooga wins the four-team tiebreaker. Chattanooga? Yeah, I knew Chattanooga was going to be the one. ETSU would actually be the two in that scenario. And then, oh. And then Wofford the three and Mercer the four. So that would be 
well, as previously established, I'm all for anything where Wofford loses. So, yeah. So, chat one, <laughs> ETSU two, uh, Wofford three, Mercer four. That would be the yes. way that breaks down if the four team. And ETSU, not only can they get in that four team tie, but if Western were to upset ETSU, Wofford knocks off Mercer, UNCG and Sanford win, they would be in a four way tie for third. There's a couple four-way ties ETSU can get into. Uh, so yep. we gave you the, yeah, the right. best-case scenario there. Let's give you the worst case. And then there's other scenarios I'll give you in just a second. If that were to happen, it would be uh, that would mean that Wofford and Chattanooga tied at 10-4. and four. Wofford beat Chattanooga. So Wofford would be the one. Chattanooga would be the two. Out of the four-way ties, Sanford, UNCG, Mercer, ETSU, the – Three seed would be Mercer in that. The four would be Sanford. ETSU would be the five. And the six would be UNCG if that went down that way. Here, here's another reason that that, that scenario irks me is because I have watched Wofford in, uh, twice now. And um, that team is going to get obliterated in the NCAA tournament if they win the SOCON title. They're going to get obliterated because they came to ETSU and they played ETSU at home twice and they looked uninterested on defense, and uh, they got shelled in the in the second and third quarter by the Bucks at Brooks Gym, right? As the ETSU beat the pants off of them twice, and somehow they could end up the number one seed, and the number one seed has the most favorable path is typically one this tournament since the new alignment in 2014-15. You're telling me that's the best team in this conference? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They are not going to be the rest, best representative of the SOCON in the NCAA tournament. It would be Chattanooga or ETSU or maybe, maybe a healthy Mercer if they could get some of Evans back, but I don't know that that's going to happen. Neil Tyser had 42 last night. She's going to go off. She will put that team on her back in the tournament. Gonzalez is a really fun freshman. Helped, has ways of getting to the free throw line for the Bears that team would be a better representative. And they've been super streaky. They they would be a better representative of, of the SoCon and the dance than Wofford. There are three teams that could all be looking up at the Terriers that would be better in the dance than the Terriers are, but they just can't beat the Terriers because for some reason, uh, every other team against ETSU, Wofford looks like, I don't know, like a, like a much better team. I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why this team is having just, all the success. It's just matchups, just matchups. It's... Uh... There, there's something that um, in sports and people have listened to my podcast since we've been coming on, or really not mine, mine and uh, you know Sanders Sidekick or Jay and Keith. There are certain teams throughout the league or throughout sports, if you look at no matter how good or bad, especially if it's teams that are in the same division, whether that's professional sports or in college sports in the same conference, there always seems to be a team for whatever reason that gives a team a fit, and it's not a great matchup, and it makes no rhyme or reason. And I, I'm going with right now, that is what Wofford is running into. I could believe that if I saw even a glimmer of why this team was having success. But in the same token, people could look at ETSU and chat and go, why can't you beat them? And Wofford has, you know, rolled them twice. I mean, again, I, you can do it. I mean, I, I'm not I, – I have not been impressed with Wofford, and, and I don't know if I had to pick – 
which team I'd prefer to try to give the SoCon uh, a, a puncher's chance in a tournament. One thousand percent agree. I'd pick the other three teams. I, I can I pick see Wofford. though. I can see though why Chattanooga would lose games because they're not deep. They don't have a bench. Uh, they have five really good players, and if all of those players are healthy and out of foul trouble, then they're going to be fine. They're, they'll more, they're more than willing to rotate six, and Sean Poppy can do some really good things, X's and O's, and navigate through some a little bit of choppy waters. If they have to get to the point where they're the seventh player or the eighth player off the bench is playing 20 minutes, that's when they get into trouble. But as long as their starting five is healthy, they're really good. And the, the games they have lost have typically been games where um, Olafsdottir or Waziradin or Cornelius may have been hurt or Waziradin was in foul trouble or uh, Olafsdottir's in foul trouble. Somebody is uh, off somewhere or out of sync with the rest of the team in some shape, form, or fashion, whether that's foul or that's injury, whatever. That is a point where, okay, this team has problems. But I also see... Like, I, I see why that would happen, but I also see how they avoid it, how they navigate around it, and why they are able to have success without it. I, I see why Mercer can have success, and I see where Mercer would have trouble. That's the thing for me with Wofford. I have, in 80 minutes of watching that team, I have not seen what makes them successful. I have not seen what makes them good. But they are rolling other teams in this conference. It's an absolutely baffling dynamic compared to the other top four teams in the SoCon. I don't get it. I mean, I mean, they have two. I mean, I, and this is what's crazy. So they lost to Western. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's a four-point loss to Western. They have a, um, a four-point loss, UNCG, and they have two games that weren't even remotely in the contest against CTSU. But you look at some of the other games. They have two double-digit wins against Chattanooga, one by over 20. And then they uh, – Sanford, they won by four and by 26. The other time they played UNCG, won by four. I'm just – there's no it's, – it's odd because – and blowing – it's ETSU blew out Wofford twice. Wofford absolutely blew out Chattanooga twice. <laughs> and Chattanooga squeaked by a couple wins against ETSU. Well, one was a pretty good win. The other one was a tight game. But I, I just – I don't – the league itself, I mean, even if you look at – I could see Sanford, at least you can see a downward turn where the injuries happen and, they're st and their losses have kind of turned yeah. from where they were in it to they're getting – like, I, you can explain that one. Mercer had some injuries. You can explain that one. I can't really explain how ETSU couldn't really solve the Chattanooga puzzle, but then Wofford absolutely rolls chat twice, and Wofford's not even in the game against ETSU. They're not even in the building. I mean, I don't, are they in the parking lot? Are they in the zip code? I mean, those were it, – it's it's really it's, – it's the strangest women's basketball conference season I can remember. This does remind me of the 9-10 A-Sun men's where four-way tie for first. There were a couple teams, you know, a game behind that were fifth and sixth was GTSU and Mercer. The eight seed was only a couple games behind that. And then you get to the tournament, five, six, seven, eight, one. Now the difference is, I have no faith that seven and eight, and really right now with the way Sanford's playing, three teams, six, seven, and eight probably, mm -hmm. are going to have a dog, uh, a dog fight in them. I don't really think they're they're going to be a lot over there. But five through one, 
it, it's not going to shock me if you picked any one of those five teams and you said, you know what, on those three days in Asheville, or four days because they take a day off in the middle, uh, they're going to win that. I mean, I, I don't have a strong, you know, I could give you an argument. Well, Wofford has these lulls where they can't put back-to-back-to-back games over and they need three players to score. If they don't score, they lose. Chad only has five players, so they've got to have all five playing all three games, right? Mm-hmm. ETSU has a can be anemic on offense at times and can't hit shots, and that's really the thing that costs them. They have open looks. They just can't hit shots, and eventually you've got to hit shots for three games in a row. Mercer, that's an interesting one because when they're healthy, they're there, but they've had times even when healthy, they're not hitting shots. They're turning the ball over, and without some of Evans, the rebounding's a question mark, right? Mm-hmm. And UNCG starting to get hot, but my goodness, there's some offensive challenges there as well. I mean, I, they didn't shoot the ball super great in the first quarter. Uh, I mean, nobody did. Nobody, nobody did. But they did. They didn't shoot the ball super great, and then they got better as the game went along, and they got a little bit more of a rhythm. They got more confidence. Faith Price is she takes a ton of threes, and sometimes they go in. And last night, three of them went in, and. Well, that was a big part of the difference in the ballgame. But let's let's not get it twisted. That's a game where ETSU kind of beat themselves. And Agreed. I think Mox said the same thing. He said, this is a team that's never been in this situation before. These are players that have never been in this situation before. And they played tight. And they missed shots. They left eight points at the free throw line. Uh, they turned the ball over too much. And as the first time they've had, I think, more than 15 turnovers in a game since, like, since like early January, if not December. It's been a long time since uh, they had that mark uh, against them. So that's a team that made some unforced errors. They took bad shots. They missed free throws. And things stacked up on them to where all of the, the, the preponderance of missed opportunities ultimately fell the way of UNCG. And, you know, I love to... Especially around the room where ETSU's been pretty good this year. They were 12 of 25 from four feet net. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, on top of everything you just said, you throw that number in there as well. And to me, that's a little bit of the difference. And it wasn't particularly Greensboro having more shots there. Greensboro was 13 of 22, 59%. But to me, ETSU's bread and butter. They do a great job of getting to the rim. They have guards that can get to the rim or they can get it to Ja'Kai or somebody inside that can make plays. And they usually shoot better there. But I think at one point in time, yeah. Uh, Thomas was four of 16, and, and like eight or nine of those are around the rim where she hit a couple of them. I mean, it just was mm-hmm. uh, one of those situations. And that I, second half, they really um, had some turnovers that were boggling, I, I, I think, um, that could have changed the thing. And it was good seeing a Brown out – or back, excuse me. Yep. Uh, and they had their chances. And he yeah. had some spectacular end of quarter shots, right? Into the first, into the third. The Jalea Cotton three in the corner was awesome. And it literally. You lost it on that too, It literally, way. it left her hand with point one on the clock. I mean, left it as late as she possibly could. Got it off. Like, it was just off of her finger. Like, the you see the clock go to triple zeros, and it's maybe six inches from her fingertip. I was just, that's, that is glorious and uh, good for her. You know, she was, she only played, I think six, seven minutes last night. And as a player that is still coming back from again, a concussion, but she's a player that this, this staff is really fond of. They like her potential. They think she's going to be a really good guard for them and contributor for them 
in the future. And just a she's a freshman running the point. And sometimes that goes really well, and sometimes it goes really poorly. And, you know, it went really poorly on Saturday for her against Furman. I thought it went a little better against UNCG. And she's finally gotten to a point where she can get into games and, and learn a little bit. And and be, and also was a meaningful contributor defensively. I thought defensively, ETSU played fine. You know, they didn't they didn't get mauled in second-chance points. They didn't get hammered on the glass the way that uh, they did against the Paladins. They were better there. They just didn't make shots. 3 of 23 from 3. 10 of 18 from the free throw line. You can't do that and win games. I mean, 19 – they've been good. Uh, so, those three things. The free throw shooting, because they've been really good at free throw shooting for most of the yes. year. Yes, They've been really good about 12, 13 turnovers. All of a sudden, they get 19. So, that's six more than what they normally been uh, producing since yep. the first three conference games of the year. And then I'm wondering if, you know, they hit 16 threes – and I'm, I'm going to look at us inwardly and say we because we're we're putting the videos out, we're putting the the calls out, we're we're doing everything we can to pump that yeah. up. And now all of a sudden, do you buy into that? Because he's a good three of twenty three. I don't know. I don't think. I think fifteen to sixteen threes attempted mm-hmm. is about where they need to be if they're hitting three. And what I mean is, if they obviously have some shots going down, all right, take a few more. But if they're not going down. That's one of those situations where okay, maybe we got to figure out a different different way to score, because there's several folks that just had an off night from outside. And I credit UNCG because they did do that. They have reinvented themselves offensively. They're taking fewer threes now than they have at any point this season. They recognized, hey, just give it to Price and let her chuck it isn't going to work. So now she's getting better looks because they're going inside a little bit more, and defenses are having to decide how do we defend. The Akira Wiggins drive. How do we defend Grady when she posts up? You know, how do we um, mitigate Khalees Kane and, and second chance and third chance opportunities that UNCG can rack up? Those are things that are going to create more of those three-point looks that they wanted at the beginning of the year that just weren't going in because they weren't taking high percentage shots. And now they're getting those better looks that they wanted. And they're eventually going to be able to come back around to that three-point shot. But... I, I don't think there's some overwhelming juggernaut defensively. They were one of the worst field goal percentage defensive teams in the SOCON, one of the worst three-point field goal percentage defensive teams in the SOCON coming into the game last night. And ETSU just flat missed shots. Just did not make shots. And that is a moment where you can see ETSU have what I would honestly call their first real stinker of a game in SOCON play. Mercer was the better team early in the year. They played like the better team. The better team won that game. They had a lead on Samford. Two players, two starters got hurt. Samford went on a run. Happens. Great. Um, Chattanooga, that game, literally they had a chance to win the game with 18 seconds left. It was down to the wire. Now, their game against Chattanooga at chat was also not very impressive, but they at least still, you know, they scored some points. They were able to find ways to get on the scoreboard in that game, even though Chattanooga won it pretty comfortably. This was the first one that I really walked away from feeling like they played themselves out of the game. They they flat played themselves out of the game. And that is, you can look at that one of two ways, and you can say, uh-oh, we may have peaked too early as a team. The team may have peaked too early, and now you're going to go to the SoCon tournament and other teams are moving past you. Or you can look at it and say, hey, 
the best time to have this game is right before the tournament so that you can, you know, kind of like put your foot down on your players and say, like, let's, hey, we got to we gotta put the foot back on the gas here and get going. And then they come out, they respond Saturday with a big win over Western Carolina, which is what I'm hoping will happen, anticipating will happen. And then they go into the tournament. It's like, okay, we're back on track. We feel good. We've gotten the weird game where we didn't make shots. We took shots that we didn't like and we turned the ball over a ton. And we got that got, got that out of our system, and now we're back to the ETSU that was rolling teams on the road two, three weeks ago. I uh, really hope Bucks have a bounce back Saturday night at 7 against Western because if they do, put themselves in a great spot. Mm-hmm. Um, really going to be first, second, or third if they win that. No matter what all the tiebreakers break out, that's kind of where they are. But the best-case scenario to get ETSU to a two, because we kind of did the if there's a six-way tie or whatever, if there's a four-way tie at the top and four-way – if they lose, what we've not done, what are some options? Well, if Wofford, Chattanooga, and ETSU win because Wofford would have beat Mercer, ETSU's the three because they're the only team with that record. The best case scenario is if Chat would win at 10 and make them 10 and four, Mercer knocks off Wofford, ETSU beats Western. Now they're all three, nine and five. And again, ETSU wins that tiebreaker. So they're the two seed and would draw at that point Furman because Furman has a tiebreaker against Western. So it doesn't really matter what they do with Samford. Assuming, again, ETSU beat Western. So, ETSU would have Furman in that 2-7 game. And then in the 3-6, at that point, you're looking at um, – uh, it'd be UNCG, actually. UNCG would be the 6. Correct. And then you're talking about that 3 would be Mercer. So, Mercer and UNCG would be the 3-6 game. So, that's kind of the best – scenario for ETSU mm-hmm. to get to a two and the one I think that gives them a little better chance to get three uh, or at least get to the third game and get to that Sunday. So the the one and the two are going to be fairly similar paths. Furman hasn't been particularly dazzling this year. I know it was down to the wire against ETSU, but Mock even said after the game, you know, we didn't play super great. We got hammered on the offensive glass. We kind of let open the door and let Furman back in the game in the fourth quarter. Western Carolina hasn't been super great this year now they have won two games so they can beat these beat some teams in the socon on a given night if uh you know if, if their big guns go off they but beat they beaten western twice that's who Furman has beaten Furman has beaten western twice yep but uh, western has beaten chattanooga and wofford yep. <laughs> yes yes they have gotten two wins against the top two teams so if you're the it's almost worse if you're the if you're the one and you're wofford or chat and you're turning around and staring at western carolina's already beat you once yep. as opposed to maybe Furman. If Allison goes off, they have a chance to beat somebody in the tournament. Sure. Or Saturday. Oh, yeah. Uh, put potentially, yeah. Or Saturday. I mean, I've if Allison has 20 points, yeah, you have a chance to win that game. How often has Allison gotten 20 points? Not that often. So, I look at those two as fairly similar to start you out. And then you're, I, you're probably, if you're the two, you're going to play... What, either Mercer, UNCG, uh, if you're the one, you might play Samford uh, or somebody. Like, you know, the paths from the two and the three, or rather for the one and the two, are going to be fairly similar. It's a little more challenging in the semifinal if you're the two than the one, but it's not drastically different, and that sets you up for success. Since, I think I said this on Monday, since the SoCon realigned, in 2014 and 15, when App State and Georgia Southern and Davidson all said deuces, and I think College of Charleston left for the CAA too that year, but I don't remember. Um, 
since that realignment, no team has won the SoCon Women's Basketball Tournament from lower than two. So you really want to be the two, at least. And I don't think there's a mathematical chance for ETSU to be the one anymore. They're done with that. So ETSU is looking for things to set up for them to be the two. And so to do that, you really need to win and you need Mercer to beat Wofford. I believe in that case, ETSU would be the two because they'd have a three and one record against those two other teams would be a three-team tie. Yes. Uh, the, I mean, Wofford's the crazy one in this scenario because they yep. basically are one. They could be a two if ETSU, uh, if ETSU were to lose to Western. Right. But after that, they're like a one and they're like a 50, you know, 50% chance to be a one. They're like a 45% chance to be a four. <laughs> really no chance to be a three and a slight chance to be a two. But that's a perfect summation of their season. Right? It's like half the time they show up and they look fantastic. And the other half of the time, they look like they couldn't care less. That's maybe brutally honest, but it's honest. You done? I'm done if you're done. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. I don't. I, I, all right. I gave you all the scenarios. People have asked. People were mad because uh, I said we would do it Thursday. And uh, and I thought the women were going to shake out a little easier, although we joked about the six-way, and then they really didn't shake out a whole lot. Now we, now that was still, a lot of math. We today. still have the four-way tie. We still the four-way tie could be on. Two separate four-ways. Two separate four-way ties. Goodness. Um, as we wrap up here, shout-out to Cheryl Milligan and ETSU Softball. 5-0 win over NC State yesterday. Their first win of the year. They shut out the Wolfpack on their home field in Raleigh. Really well done for that group. Glad to see them get in, get one, uh, scratch one up in the in the W column to uh, get going here early in 2023. Hopefully the first of many this season. We will, uh, you know, we're going to talk uh, Monday about the seeding Southern Conference Tournament. We maybe take a look at some spring sports. Big show. Final Saturday. So can we get it's the big show! Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Shatter, shatter, shatter. Uh, I forgot to write what time we. I didn't hit the bumpers. I gotta find out what time we started talking. Yeah, you didn't. You